Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing. Projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today, we've got a well-respected punk joining us on the show. Please welcome Punk5046. He's a clean-looking 2 Addy with a mole and small shades. He's one of the first beneficiaries of the Yuga Labs grant for Punk's post a bi-monthly post on everything that's moving and shaking within the punk world. He's also a creator, advisor, and storyteller for Web3 projects. Please welcome the one and only Galbraith.eth to the show. Galbraith, how are you? Hi, yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. Been aware of it for quite some time now. I think, uh, you know, I seem to remember you reaching out to me even before you started saying you were going to be getting on with something like this quite early on, maybe August, September last year, I think. Yeah. And uh, from what I remember in my DMs, yeah, here we are. I don't know what number episode this is now, but it's in the 30s. Are you nearly nearly up to 40 now, which is like impressive by itself. So yeah, congrats on that. No, thank you. Yeah, it just feels like a bit of a whirlwind uh, when this sort of first kicked off. I, I sort of felt like there was just, I'm having the same conversations with punks and DMs, and I just felt like it was a good opportunity to share it with everybody because everyone's got a really interesting story. But more importantly, I would love to sort of unpack your story today. Maybe if we could just start with Galbraith.eth, is that your real name or is that a handle or how did you just sort of... Galbraith is my second name. It's my family name. And yeah, so my name's Richard Galbraith. I'm like fully doxxed, have been for years, worked in Web2 as a strategist for a long time. And when I started signing up to Web2 platforms very early on, I just went with my regular name rather than a uh, pseudonym or like online handle, which I kind of did in Web1 back in the day when I was like playing games and as part of a Team Fortress classic kind of clan, a gaming clan. And and I, I had a, an online pseudonym then, but when I came into Web2 I, as like a professional, I just used my regular name and, I, and that kind of stuck. You know, I've been on Twitter since 2007, I think. So I've been around a while showing my age there. And uh, yeah, just I had my normal, my family name across all platforms. So as, as I transitioned into Web3, I, I kind of made a decision to continue with that rather than I had a moment where I was like, do I kind of start creating new profiles under a pseudonym and under like an anonymous kind of thing? And I was like, no, do you know what? I've got like this legacy content and this legacy kind of set of profiles across all major platforms. And if I can utilize those to help, you know, uh, increase my, uh, my profile as a writer, then uh, that seems like an easier way than starting afresh. So yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a long story of, around that one. But yeah, it, it's it's my family name. It makes sense, right? If you've built up a lot of brand equity in the past and you've been around for a while, it sort of makes sense to uh, maintain that going forward. You sort of mentioned that you were a strategist. Perhaps you can share a little bit about your background and how you found your way into sort of storytelling and, and the like. It goes way back, all the way back to being a kid. I always just like 
being the one telling the stories around campfires. And, you know, if you have a sleepover with a couple of friends as a kid, you know, you get the sleeping bags rolled out on the bedroom floor and the torch underneath the chin and all of that sort of stuff. And it's like telling stories. But uh, I ended up doing journalism at uni. And I had a really good time with that and was like an aspiring music journalist slash cultural commentator, wanted to be the next Hunter S. Thompson, as any good young journalist should do. And yeah, kind of from there went into, this was again showing my age now, around two, I went to uni in 2002. So it's really a little bit before Web 2 and Web 1 was kind of reaching a sort of crescendo in terms of like what its capabilities were for publishing and, and you know, article writing, online stuff. Magazines were, you know, were making that transition from analog or physical into digital. There was a lot more kind of magazine websites popping up. Blogging was first starting to really gain a bit of momentum. And yeah, I, I started up a very, I had a friend who was good with HTML at the time, create me a blog before there's really any kind of proper blogging platforms. I think some of my earliest entries are on the Wayback When machine dating back to like 2003, 2004. And yeah, I kind of just went with it from there. I love music as an, you know, an old school metalhead. I started interviewing all of my, you know, idols and and heroes uh, as a music journalist and got to meet loads of really cool people from like Vanilla Ice to Le Lemmy Kilimanster out of Motorhead and just a really wide range of eclectic uh, kind of interesting people. So and then I graduated and tried to move down to London to make it as a music journalist. And, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up taking a job as a lightweight copywriter for a marketing agency, a startup, which specialized in what was at the time called word of mouth marketing or WOM marketing. And the majority of that actually was uh, done online at the time because you know you used to have these like street teams for big brands that would go out into the street around big cities and try and give things out and this still kind of exists today but early 2006 to late 2006 when I made this transition into marketing online word of mouth kind of conversational we used to call it conversational generating marketing and yeah it kind of went from there really like I switched my grand ambitions as a writer from journalism into fiction and I spent 15 years working as a strategist in Web2 for brands ranging from, you know, Royal Dutch Shell through to Lego. I spent five years as a global strategist working for Lego in Denmark. And yeah, it provided me with a really good career, but I always wanted to be a writer more, you know, at least with Web2 and the social media marketing campaigns that I was planning and strategizing, I was able to be a storyteller through those campaigns that, that, that we enacted and sometimes it was like quite you know normal dull campaigns and then other times it's like really really cool interesting ones and um yeah but all, all the while whilst doing that i was writing you know i had my first novel released in 2009 and that really gave me my uh, first taste of collaborative storytelling uh, because i worked with five bands and five artists to create original music and art based around five different themes of my novel and that was love madness anger jealousy and desire and i gave each band and each artist a 2000 word extract based on one of these kind of human emotions and they went away and created a either a piece of art or a piece of music based on this 2000 word extract and then yeah we released my novel 
90,000 word novel, 72 page art book, five track music album, had a seven minute short film, had a 10 day interactive art literature and audio exhibition in central London where you could go in and literally see the art on the walls and read the extract that inspired it and and there's these like little headsets that ran off mp3 players where you could lift you know like uh, listen to the music as well as looking at the art and reading the extract had a launch night for that where all the bands came and played and stuff so that was like a really interesting time and that was again that was 2009 when web 2 was kind of really finding its feet and uh, people were starting to take Web2 platforms more seriously. I remember working with some very early creators on YouTube and they were getting, they were some of the biggest in the UK and they were getting like 10, 20,000 views on their videos, which at the time was colossal, but obviously now kind of pales in comparison. And it was way, way before, you know, YouTube was fully monetized or anything like that, um, doing early influencer campaigns with these guys. So I was able to use my Web2 acumen and, and kind of interest and knowledge with my, you know, want and lust to be a writer to kind of help combine these worlds a little bit and create this kind of multimedia, multi kind of crossover project which then i received arts council funding for which in the uk is like a bit a big body where you can get anything from like thousands of pounds of investment up to millions and depending on how big you are and i got like a nice grant from those i had to put together like this you know five thousand word proposal um on, on what i wanted to do they gave me the grant that funded the project so it was all done kind of independently and a bit diy but the results were fantastic and very humbling. And then, yeah, so that was the way back in 2009. And fast forward many years, I write another couple of novels. I do a bit of traveling. I still continue to work in social media. And um, then I kind of like still had this bug for collaboration, let's put it that way. And in 2018, just when I was seeing a lot of traction with digital artists utilizing Instagram, I said, maybe there's something here. Like, who are these, who are the biggest artists in this space? So I found, made a list of like different digital artists whose, whose work I really resonated with. And, uh, and I started reaching out to them saying, look, I'm a sci-fi writer. I love your work. I would love to uh, write sci-fi uh, stories based on your work. Can we do some sort of collaboration here? And a couple of them kind of got back and said, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm a bit busy at the moment. What do you need from me? That sort of thing. And I was getting a bit despondent with the whole thing because I was like, you know, who are these guys? They kind of felt a little bit like prima donna-esque. But there was one guy who you may know who responded back to me pretty much instantly. And he was like, this is such an awesome idea. And that guy was People or Mike Winkleman. Mm. Wow. People responded to my messages, like, like I said, pretty much straight away. and was like, dude, you know, in his, in his usual kind of vernacular, <laughs> he's like, dude, this sounds fucking awesome, man. Like, let's go, let's fucking do this. And I was like, holy shit, you know, and I, even, even back then in 2018, he was still one of the biggest in the space. His uh, every days was kind of rocking along. And instead of the millions of followers he had now, he had hundreds of thousands, but that was still a lot more than a lot of the other artists in the space as well. So I was like, fuck, this is amazing. So I started, I ended up writing a, a series of short stories based on his work. And then I ended up working with a lot of other digital artists. And this is all way before, you know, this is 2018, 2019. And then in 2020, that's when, you know, NFTs went, uh, started to go parabolic. And uh, I saw, yeah, I saw, I saw uh, Beeple's first releases on Nifty Gateway. And I was messaging him. And I was like, Mike, what the fuck is this? Am I buying a JPEG? Uh, what does that mean? And he was like, wait until I 
fire off a bunch of uh, stories. I'm going to explain it to everybody and you should be able to get it. But this is the future by, you know, get involved with this. I was like, okay, sounds good. You know, I trust you. You're, uh, you're somebody that's helped me out with my writing career by just, you know, simply allowing me to utilize your work in, in my stories. So let's see what happens here. And I bought my first NFT in 2020, like December 2020, where it was Beeple's second release on Nifty Gateway. And I was like, what am I doing spending a thousand bucks on a, on a JPEG? But then, you know, <laughs> about five months later, I ended up spending... 70,000 bucks on my punk. So I was very much red-pilled by that point. And uh, yeah, it just from that point on, you know, from December 2020, my life just completely changed. And uh, and everything went completely mental, as you're probably well aware yourself, with the whole space blowing up, with people's $69 million sale. Yeah, just, just everything story. went completely, completely wild. And then I got the gig as a writer for the first Punks comic, and I was working with Beanie and G-Funk and the, Pix- G-Funker and, the, and the Pixel Vault crew. And then I started engaging with a lot of other kind of big names in the space, and it just uh, kind of completely spiraled from there. And yeah. You know, a year later, I was able to quit my job in social media and go full time with Web3 as a writer and as a narrative designer and as a storyteller. And uh, I've been doing that full time for about 14 months now, 13 months. It was my one year of DGEN uh, anniversary uh, at, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of February. So, yeah, and, th- and that's where I am. So that's kind of, yeah, a bit of my story. Wow. Uh, that's such an amazing story. I had had no idea. Galbraith. So may- maybe just to... Help everybody understand as well. Could could you just describe who Beeple is, just in case there's some listeners out there that's not familiar? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, I don't know who your listeners are, Maxwell, <laughs> but if you're a punk and don't know who Beeple is, then uh, I'd be very surprised. But you know, if you've got if we've got people listening from outside of the space, then yeah, sure. And also, you know, sometimes these things pass people by. But yeah, Beeple is perhaps one of the most renowned digital artists in the space, if not the most renowned, somewhat infamous as well for the type of art that he produces. But uh, I guess his story off the top of my head, and Mike might you know, kind of correct me on this one, is that he's been a long time kind of producer of digital art. He ended up creating this project on Instagram, which actually dates back way before Instagram. Uh, where he was producing one piece of art per day. And uh, he would post it on Instagram, and that picked up quite a bit of traction. Uh, He's a 3D render artist primarily, but he started out as like any other person does, just using crayons and paper. And he kind of went from there. He started to get a lot of traction on Instagram again, 2016, 2017, 2018, when Instagram started being utilized as a platform for digital artists, when they started expanding outside of places like DeviantArt or uh, their own platforms and blogs. And yeah, he kind of got picked up by some interesting people. And then uh, that helped facilitate the sale. Basically, created a collage of i think it was 13 years of his everydays first 5000 days yeah 5000 days yeah exactly so th- and those 5000 days were put into this one big collage then uh, that was sold as an nft via christies and yeah that obviously sold one well, obviously maybe not obviously to some but that ended up selling for 69 million dollars a very nice meme number there and then that yeah that basically w- was one of the primary catalysts for sending the nft space into uh, the stratosphere basically prior to that he'd done a few drops on nifty gateway 
And uh, like I said, I'd bought uh, one of his, only unfortunately one of his pieces on Nifty Gateway, but I got it for $1,000. It was into the ether. Yeah, it was like really weird seeing that happen because I was like, wait a minute, he's just, he's dropped, uh, I think, three of these things, uh, these things called NFTs. I don't really get it. And he's selling them for $1,000 a time. And he seems to have just sold about 1,500 of these things in four minutes. And so, and I'm like this on my phone going, he can't have just made $3 million or something crazy or whatever it was on those first early nifty gateway drops. He can't have just made that much money in four minutes. Like what the hell is going on here? And that really, I'm like, you know, my mind went, this is interesting. And maybe there's a way that I can utilize this space for storytelling and, and my own writing and my own, you know, skill set, which in, involves not only helping people out tell stories, but also very good at collaborating and producing collaborations. But people, yeah, he's a, he's a big artist in the space. Yeah, he's, he's, he's probably the biggest, yeah. So you said you reached out to him to propose that you do some sort of writing for him. What did you end up producing with people? So basically there is, it's still online today. I can share the link with you in case you've got like a thing to share uh, links with your listeners, but it's called Neon and Concrete. And basically what I like doing when I'm writing is taking things that I love and writing stories about them. And so over the years, I've done all sorts of different projects where I utilize different passions of mine as inspiration. And in this case, the project was called Neon and Concrete. And half of the stories were neon stories and they were like cyberpunk, sci-fi, um, outrun, synthwave, vaporwave-esque stories. And that was all based on people's work. So I would take six of Beeple's images that were simply on his Instagram, and I would email Mike and be like, right, okay, I'm going to write a story about these six images, and it's going to be one story that follows this, that draws inspiration from these images. You know, these are kind of the plot points. This is what I'm thinking. And he'd go, okay, that sounds awesome. Like, let me know when you're done. Uh, here's my Dropbox, high-res images. Use whatever you want. Don't worry about it. So then, yeah, I would get the high-res images and i construct a story or, or a narrative around these six images. To begin with, it was just three, and then I started using six because I wanted them slightly longer format. I think the longest one that I wrote was 8,000 words, and the shortest one that I wrote was about 1,500 words. Yeah, it just kind of, and then I'd post them on Medium and try and build a, a bit of a readership by, you know, posting it across all sorts of social media. I was using Reddit heavily at the time. I, you know, obviously met, send, send the story to Mike and he was, he was always happy with the stories. I remember the first one that I wrote, the name of which kind of escapes me now, actually, because it was five or six years ago now. But it was a short story about a guy who is basically a drug dealer in the future in a cyberpunk world and he's like a, a futuristic sci-fi slash cyberpunk highway on his way to to kind of do a delivery and it's just him talking about being a drug dealer in the future and this drug's called <laughs> tox the drug is called tox and he's like i'm delivering tox to these people and um that actually that story got a little bit of traction and uh, did quite well on reddit and a couple of other platforms and that brought in like thousands of readers to my medium blog or or, or platform whatever you want to call it and and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing because it, you know, it helped to have that visual 
element there for people from people's work that some people recognize as his work or in, in even in those early days and some people just enjoyed the kind of the, the sci-fi cyberpunk kind of work that he did back then so yeah that, that that really helped me as a writer go oh you know like there's something in definitely something in this collaborative side of things there's definitely something in working with digital artists i love doing this and uh, what you know is there a way to, to kind of monetize this which eventually happened with uh, with web3 and nfts uh, that's such an amazing story. I've, I've got it up here. I'll have to read it in my own time, but uh, I'm just looking at the timestamp. It was 14th of March, 2018. <laughs> so you got to uh, Beeple way, way ahead of, of everybody else. So uh, what an amazing story. Five years ago in two days. What, what a coincidence. <laughs> um, and just, so what was going through your mind back then? Were you, were you just experimenting, trying to figure out how to freelance, monetize, just trying to pair up with? Yeah, it was mostly, like I said, you know, I, I kind of had this collaborative media bug from my, from my novel, which was like I worked with traditional artists as well as a couple of digital ones even back then. That was 2009, you know. And over, over the course of that time, you know, over like the seven or eight years between then and starting that particular short story project i i got a lot more into writing short stories and i did this uh, series of short stories called brutalist stories where i wrote 104 500 word stories based on brutalistic architecture over the course of two years and running alongside that i did another short story project called outrun stories where i wrote short stories 500 again 104 500 word short stories over the course of two years inspired by outrun and synthwave music because that's another like favorite kind of genre of music and and at that time artists like kavinsky and power glove and perturbator had uh, got a lot of attention and it and it brought a lot of new musicians onto soundcloud and every day you'd there's like massive massive kind of drops of vaporwave synthwave darkwave music and i loved listening to this and going okay cool i can write a story about this one and a lot of those stories were like you know neo-noir cyberpunk sort of stories and then a lot of the brutalist stories were more cerebral and that kind of brings me back to the neon and concrete project actually because the neon stories were based on people's work and then the concrete projects were based on another digital digital artist called uh, Ozizic's work. So he, he has sold some NFTs and he got a little bit of traction in the space. Obviously not as big as people, but then who has? And the concrete stories were like cerebral philosophical sci-fi, which is another kind of genre like that I love to write. And then the the, the neon stories were like the, the cyberpunk synthwave ones. So yeah, it was like a progression really where I was always interested in collaborating with artists and musicians always liked writing stories based off artwork and, and, and listening whilst listening to music. Music's very inspirational to me when I am writing and really in what I call the gray zone where I'm like just focused, drilled into to, to, to telling stories and nothing kind of else uh, passes through my vision at that point other than the, the, the words and the visualizations of what I'm writing. And uh, I just kind of carried on doing that because I loved doing it and I was reasonably good at it which really coming into the Web3 and NFT space gave me a very particular skill set. One of which was obviously being a longtime writer, I could tell stories, but the other one, which has proved very useful to, to a lot of people, include not only myself, but collaborators that I've worked with, but also clients that I've worked with within the space, is being able to bring other people's ideas to life in a narrative format. A lot of people 
struggle with this and have ideas of how to tell stories. And, you know, stories are like, it's this thing where everybody, they're so pervasive and they're so intrinsic to the human condition that everybody believes that they can tell them and everybody can tell them. I'm not denying that by any means, but creating a story and a narrative in a world for maybe a Web3 project or a novel or even a short story or even a piece of flash fiction, which can be, you know, 50 words or 100 words, is very different to going down the pub and telling your mate about, you know, something stupid that happened at work or some, you know, girl that you found and got chatting to whilst you're at the library or something like this. Designing and, you know, there's, there's a reason why people get paid to do these things and why there's professionals out there. And I hope to consider that I am kind of pretty good at doing that now and I'm one of those so yeah like doing all of this collaborative stuff really gave me this skill set of being able to help out artists work with artists have an idea of how to work well with people because you know writing is a very solitary sort of art form and there's a lot of writers out there who don't like working with other people and I remember very early on in the space when I was part of this crypto writers uh, discord and I was on a spaces with um, this lady called Callan Uemoto. I think that's her second name. She might shout at me because I've probably got that wrong. But her, she's she's a part of a project called The Verseverse. She's an extremely talented writer and poet herself. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Callan through the space for quite some time now, getting on two years. She's amazing. And um, we were on a spaces together and she said, oh, Galbraith, one of your superpowers is collaboration. And I was like, well, I never really thought about it that way before. I always thought collaborative, you know, it's one of those things sometimes when you have a particular skill and you just think, oh, everybody's got that. That's nothing special um, because it seems so natural to you that it must be natural to everybody else. But then when Callan reminded me that, oh, actually, you know, you know, she said, I don't like collaborating. It's hard for me. And a couple of other people on the spaces were like, yeah, I don't know how you do it. And I was like, oh, right. Okay, so this is something different that I can do that other people don't necessarily have. And I've done that, you know, getting involved with the Punks project, uh, the Punks comic uh, project right at the beginning and helping bring the comic to life through to working with projects like uh, Restless, Charlie Cohen, and helping them develop their lore or interleave with Lupify and writing the scripts for the short films that he was releasing and bringing his ideas to life through that. Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey, you know, and I've been being able to monetize that, as you say, because people need this skill set in this space. It's all about, you know, people buy stories. People obviously buy JPEGs to flip and to, to gamble because we're all DGENs, but people <laughs> long term, you know, people buy stories. 100%. They need a they need a narrative to, to justify any of their conviction. Punk's comic was a really interesting project back then. And I know it's super complex, but would you mind just sharing with everybody high level what Punk's comic is and how you got involved with that? Because that was, if I remember correctly, that was led by another prominent punk at the time, Beanie Maxi, right? Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting time. I mean, so I, I couldn't possibly even begin to give anybody the overview of it now because, like you say, it, it did get quite complex. And I, and I haven't worked with the team since that first comic, basically, June, July 2021, I think that was, when I kind of left the project uh, to go on and to, to kind of pursue my own stuff. But in the beginning, basically, uh, Beanie Maxi, who is like somewhat of a controversial figure in the space for some time, made a kind of a, a shout out uh, into the space just saying I need a writer for a project uh, any, do I know any uh, literally on the tweets 
and I happened to see it and I DM'd him. We both followed each other at the time. And, uh, and I said, yeah, look, this is what I do. Uh, what do you need? And he said, well, we're doing a comic. Uh, can you write a comic? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. I've done a few things like this in the past. And obviously I'm a novelist and a short story writer. Like, what exactly do you need? And he's like, well, I'm going to buy 12 punks and we're going to write a comic about the punks. It's going to be called Literally Punks Comic. And, um, you know, so don't talk to me because I'm busy, but here's my business partner, uh, G-Funk, and you can talk to him. So he and I started talking and he was like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're on a very tight deadline because they wanted to get it out before the first punk Christie's auction, which was happening, I think, May 2021, something like this, May, June. Can't remember exactly, but they wanted the, the comic released either the day before or on the day of the auction because everybody thought that this auction was going to be another like leg up for the punks. But it, I, I mean, by no means did that auction do badly, but I don't think it did quite as well as everybody was expecting. And it didn't really raise the floor price particularly or anything like that. So we went to work and then uh, Chris Wall got involved, who was like an amazing you know, comic book artist, you know, his pe pedigree is like Marvel, DC, Tank Girl was one of his big kind of IPs that he worked on a lot over the years. And he was just like an incredible dude and such a talented guy. And I was like, holy shit, you know, kind of what have I got myself into? I'm like, I've gone from slightly obscure collaborative writer to working with one of the best comic book artists in the world on this project uh, that could potentially, you know, earn millions of dollars and I'm getting paid you know quite a hefty sum of money to get this or ETH at the time you know to get this thing written within the next couple of weeks and I've still got a full-time job and I've still got it like my regular life outside of the DGEN space and I'm just like what is going on here so yeah we just went to work and we got it done in like a couple of weeks literally it was just absolutely hectic and I was writing the script and uh, sending it over to G-Funk and Beanie, and they were requesting changes and edits as we went along. And then I was editing and supplying pay, literally page by page to Chris, who was, who was lining it and then inking it as we went along. And then just in the nick of time, the project launched to align with the Christie's auction. Do so well at the beginning. Gas was insanely high. I remember that day, you know, it's before, well, we are now proof of stake. And... Yeah, it was way before that. And it was like, you know, people were minting things at ridiculous cost back then. You know, it was just such a such a degen sort of space. It was like, oh, I can mint something for, you know, hundreds of dollars. Just the gas was was costing hundreds of dollars. And people didn't care because it was like, okay, you know, the streets are paved with gold around here. It was like, you know, uh, there will be blood like gushes of oil just firing up out of the ground you know uh, it was absolutely insane so but the but the comic you know it was a 10,000 it wasn't a pfp project it was a comic book i don't think people quite got it to begin with but there was 10,000 uh, of them available and i think on mint day maybe two or three thousand sold and everyone was a bit like oh shit panic stations what do we do now very stressful time for uh, g-funk and beanie and then but then obviously the project got a lot of traction eventually sold out and went on to be what it is today which is essentially a very successful franchise and one of the more uh, one of the biggest success stories in the space i think they did very well it got very complicated i think a lot of people were like what does 
the planet DAOs and things like that. I don't know. I, I kind of, um, like I said, stopped working with them back in June, July uh, 21. But yeah, they've, they, they've had a great success story. But it really gave me kind of like a leg up in the space as somebody, as a semi kind of prominent uh, kind of writer figure, which uh, back then there wasn't a lot of at all. You know, I think I was really the only writer in the space that was getting any traction whatsoever back then. There was a few people that I noticed back then who were coming from like traditional publishing and traditional writing and going, oh, I've got, you know, I've had five novels released and I've best selling in a, you know, New York Times, blah, blah, blah. And DJs just didn't give a shit about that. They were like, I don't care like how uh, many books you've sold uh, on Amazon. I just want to know, am I going to be able to flip your NFT? Uh, for mega books and so like uh, luckily because of my entrance into web 3 via web 2 and via digital artists rather than and collaboration rather than traditional kind of publishing i was able to gain a bit of traction in the space for myself and my own projects um, but yeah that's kind of <laughs> that's a bit on that that's a crazy story. You, you, you remind me of that period. It was uh, super crazy. I, I think I had a full-time job at that time as well, but I wasn't sleeping. You know, there was mints every day. Everybody was, everything was minting out. It was insane. Uh, and, and Punk's comic was an interesting one. You, you're right. It was a really slow burn, but then they, they had this thing with like, you know, you can either burn it or keep it. And if you keep it, you get the physical, but if you burn it, you go into, you get access to a punk DAO, which has got a treasury full of punks in it. And the floor price is absolutely ripped. Uh, and you also got meta heroes on the back of that as well. I think you got a meta heroes mint pass, you know, which is, you know, two or three ETH, five ETH just from that one particular, one particular drop. So it, it was nuts. And, and Beanie and G-Funk were very good at game theory. And that facilitated, they were way ahead of their time in a lot of regards, you know, even though it's like two years ago uh, or less, they really were able to introduce a lot of really interesting kind of burn and you know mint kind of dynamics which hadn't really been done so much via other projects before and this is what kind of got them i think quite a bit of traction because it was like okay if i do this and i can do that and blah 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 and you, then you get sucked in or hooked into the ecosystem and once you're in there you're kind of uh, there for life so yeah it was really really interesting time what was your sort of take on on beanie i know he's a bit of a controversial character but you got to sort of work with him a little bit yeah i mean like i'm no kind of kiss and tell sort of guy um and there was certainly some uh kind of you know behind the scenes uh, conversations which happened which i you know wouldn't 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 care to share publicly but um not because anything bad happened but just because you know the, the those guys put their trust in me and i put the, my trust in them as well but yeah i mean like i said i kind of stepped away from the project after the first mint and went on to kind of do my own thing. I wanted to concentrate on my own projects and my own writing because I really felt that that was like a time and a place where I was able to do that for the first time, really. And, and you know, build up a bit of my own traction with like, because uh, I had this idea for punk. That's where the when the idea for punk fiction came out and writing one of one stories based on my own punk and, fame, and other famous crypto punks. And then, you know, I still had this project called Tales from the Glitch, which I um, haven't minted on for a while, but I was doing a lot of collaborations with that and really wanted to push that and a bunch of other ideas. But yeah, like then, you know, the, the, so I, I'd stepped back by the time Beanie kind of started getting really controversial and uh, slightly was, was somewhat ostracized from the space. I don't know if he's even still around, really. Um, I think he, he kind of doesn't tweet much anymore, but he went on to do like, uh, you know, 
quite a few really interesting things. Wolf Game was obviously a very interesting uh, project of his, which went on to be very successful, uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it was one of those things where it's a bit like he's clearly a smart guy, and you know is is, is producing. Uh, some really interesting stuff, but he was very, what's the word that I'm looking for? Kind of divisive. So you either really loved him or really hated him. And it was like, you know, he made a lot of people a lot of money, but he also lost a lot of people a lot of money. And there was no middle ground with Beanie. It was like, there's a lot of people who just fucking hated his guts. But then there's a lot of people who were like, well, he's amazing. Like, look at all this cool stuff that he's doing. So yeah, um, it was, it, but it got a bit too spicy for me. And <laughs> I was just like, I'm just uh, a writer. I'm just here to write sci-fi. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of going to step back a little bit from this and let you guys do what you feel you need to do. Yeah, no, he's, uh, the one thing he, he was a punk at the time, he was a noticeable punk, you know, with the iconic uh, multicolored beanie in the space. And, and I just remember that that point in time, he, as, as much as everybody might hate him, he kind of made the space fun, right? So him and Art Chick, I mean, everybody was just hanging off every single word and every single tweet that they made back then. And um, I, I personally sort of enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was a bit like a soap opera, you know. Uh, there, was, there was some days where you woke up and just saw what had happened, been going on o- overnight. And it was it was literally like catching up on your your favorite kind of TV show. It was like, except it was like an interactive. Everybody's like, you know, you can actually talk with these people. It was it was it was you know, like you say, we weren't sleeping. All gushes were kind of exploding out of the ground, left, right, and center. Rugs were happening on the daily basis, but then also people were making millions on the daily basis as well. It was just uh, you know one of those moments in time that we probably won't get ever again i mean they'll they'll obviously the cycle will spin and there'll be another bull run but it'll be different from that moment and uh and i kind of just look back on it with with some very fond memories but then also there was moments where you know which were which were pretty terrifying i remember there was a bit of controversy because art speaking of archic archic was you know uh anonymous and then beanie came along and, and made a bunch of tweets about being archic and saying you know <laughs> Do you remember this? I do. Yeah, I do. and like Beanie was just ba- like blatantly lying and just saying, "I'm Archic," and we have a team of people being that profile. And Archic lost her mind, and I woke up to this in the morning. And obviously, I'd work with with Beanie on the Punks comic, but I didn't. You know, I'd only been on a few phone calls with him, and I didn't know he was still anonymous to me. I didn't know who he was or where he was. I'd only heard his voice, so I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" So I, I tweeted, oh, I've just woke up and guess what? Like Beanie's Art Chick and Art Chick's Beanie and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's interesting. And then that tweet ended up getting a little bit of traction and, and, you know, had a couple of hundred likes and a few retweets and things like this. Then I've got like people coming into my DMs going, what the fuck are you doing? You know that, that Beanie's not Art Chick and stuff like this. And I'm going, look, he's just tweeted this. <laughs> And they're saying, you know, you need to delete that tweet. So I was like, okay, I don't want any, I don't want to be involved with this. So, so I deleted the tweet, but it was, it was like, I kind of, and, and that, that kind of, you know, gave me a, a hard learned lesson. I was like, don't fuck around with this kind of controversial stuff. You know, like, it, I was like, this isn't my game to play, you know, let the other people play that game and, you know, rile up people and engagement farm and do whatever they want. But uh, yeah, I was like, I was sweating for a little bit. I was like, holy shit, like Archic and Beanie are both going to come after me now. 
now. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, so, yeah, I had, like, I had a few people uh, then uh, reaching out to me going, what, why did you say that? I was like, well, like, I actually thought, because, like, look, if you, if you look at a, the, the, the tweets from back then, it's, like, very obvious that he was just kind of going out. So in some ways, it, like, it seems jokey, but in other ways, it could be, like, seem completely legit. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I deleted the tweet. I was like, right, okay, you guys, you do you. I'm out. Like, um, you know, I'm not talking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was a, but it was an interesting time all around. That's a crazy time. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's what it meant. That's exactly what it meant. I found it really entertaining and funny and just memorable at that point in time. So Galbraith, um, you, you're talking about some other work that you were doing. I think, was it Punk Fiction and a few other ones? Uh, maybe if you could share a little bit about that and, you know, from your perspective, what 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 makes good story and law? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, like my background, like I said, is uh, as, a, as, as a novelist, but then also as a short story writer. And I felt that the short story format was much better positioned to be something that could work within the NFT space, especially in those early days of like late 2020, early 2021. I actually have two novels finished and uh, one of which was, is going to go on to be a trilogy. And I just finished writing that in the summer of 2020. And I started to write the second draft of that in late 2020 when all the nft stuff kicked off and i've basically been sat on these manuscripts for yeah like coming on two two and a half years now trying to see if there is a good way to publish a novel as an nft or if there's a good re good enough reason to do it now there's quite a few platforms which are facilitate that now but i haven't really found the way that i want to do it quite just yet so in the meantime, I focused on, yeah, collaboration, uh, short stories, and, and writing lore for people, basically. And, um, you know, with, with my own projects, Tales from the Glitch, that's a collaborative project. I haven't minted for a while on that because I was caught up in, in other stuff, but I've got the next piece for that, which is ready to mint. And um, we're going to be hopefully minting that in the next couple of weeks uh, as I align a couple of other things. But that was basically, the, and in actual fact, the last mint I did with that was with collaboration was me, uh, Claire Silver and Alpha Centauri Kid. And that was like one of my dream kind of collaborations. Uh, Claire did the art and Alpha Centauri Kid actually did the music. And it's one of the few things he's ever produced music for. And another famous punk, uh, Sergito, our friend, King of the Meebs, bought that piece. That was a couple of years ago, about a year, a year and a half ago now, I think. It's been a while since I minted on that project. But like I said, it's uh, it's been a weird space uh, because of the bear market and things like this. But kind of coming back to your original question, of like what are my projects and what do i feel like good storytelling is or good lore is it's from my perspective building out a world relies heavily on motivation and trying to understand the motivations of your characters and the people and things within it and if you have a reason for this place or for this um story to exist based on some form of motivation then you can generally pull out everything else so you know, you, you, you start to build a world and you start to put characters within it and the characters within it, you then need to start trying to understand where are they coming from? What are they doing and where are they going? And then once you start to pick apart or build those ideas, you start to throw them in all sorts of nefarious and fucked up situations. So it's like, okay, Joe Bloggs needs to get from A to B. 
which is being a poor kid to being a rich kid. That's what he wants. That's his primary motivator is earning money, for instance. You know, but along the way, you know, the story arc, I'm going to throw him into some sort of shitty situation and he's going to be doing well to begin with, but bang, you know, conflict, something bad's going to happen to him and he's going to have to dig his way back out of that. And you can put somebody in the story arc, you know, it's it's very, the recipe I worked out over the years is everywhere and it's not super difficult and there's no real magic behind it other than practice and doing a lot of writing. But if you stick to generally introduction, conflict, resolution, then you can build out off of that really interesting things. And sometimes you can come at it, come at it laterally and do weird and wonderful kind of things with it. But most of the time, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And most stories have this arc of these three major points. Uh, and so good storytelling involves good characters with good motivations or interesting motivations and a lot of interesting conflict. And also reasons for that conflict to exist. You can't have Joe Bloggs, well, you can really uh, have Joe Bloggs going off and doing pretty much anything along the way from being poor to being rich. But if he's, you know, a type of character that is working in a coffee shop to begin with and wants to be, um, you know, the next Elon Musk, maybe not a good example, because I was going to say it's going to be weird if space aliens come down and, uh, <laughs> and like interact with him. But do you know what I mean? It's like trying, trying to build out something that's also believable to your reader uh, or to your, you know, audience, because there's, you know, the, the, there is such a thing of suspension of disbelief. And that kind of works a lot more maybe in movies than, than the written word, maybe. Or it, But, you know, you need to ensure that the world that you're building has a reason for being that sort of world. And if it's a romance novel, it's going to be weird if, you know, uh, three-headed aliens kind of just appear and, you know, set off the romantic you know protagonist on a different course when he or she uh, or they are trying to get you know towards their romantic ending um but if if three-headed aliens exist in this world already and then it's a romantic story within that world then it makes sense so yeah this you know i could talk about this stuff all day um and this is generally what i try to advise people on when i am working in a in a kind of a three in, in a freelance perspective as a as a gun for hire on different projects projects they're like you know some of the ideas as you're probably well aware of some of the crazy projects that are out there you know just just the wildest sort of shit and you're like okay i, I get what you're trying to do or what you want to do but <laughs> usually some big buts but uh, you know if you want your audience to engage with this try and make it a little bit more traditional in a way if you can or uh, try and at least make sure that it follows some sort of structure because if you know, and when your project does take off, you it's very, very hard to like retrofit lore and and storytelling uh, uh, because it can be done, but it, it can be quite difficult sometimes because, you know, one of the things that I hate as a novelist and as, a, as an avid reader and as an avid writer is plot holes. And you see a lot of massive, gaping, colossal, gargantuan holes in the lore of a lot of projects because they hadn't really thought it through because they're in such a rush to just mint. But these days, you know, because, you know, because we're in the bear market, because the bull run is over, people are spending a lot more time building than rushing. Uh, and that makes the, the kind of the quality of the projects and the, and the lore and the stories and the worlds that are, that are being released uh, a lot better, I feel. 
No, uh, th- thanks for sharing that, Galbraith. Um, I think I was I was always curious about that in terms of having a bit of a structure behind it because I sort of feel a lot of projects are out there. They're not really being strategic around or spending or investing time in their law. I mean, they, they'll build NFTs and create good artwork, but I don't think there's a lot of thought that goes into creating that law, which effectively is community building and the like as well, right? So um, super, super critical uh, component of uh, NFT projects uh, and artwork, basically. Yeah, no, super fascinating. And so, uh, and you're right, we probably could speak all day on this. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of immersed in the, all the things that you're sort of saying, but it might be good if we can get onto uh, the core of the show, which is really around your CryptoPunk journey. So, you know, you, you got through NFTs via people. How did you discover CryptoPunks and, you know, what was your sort of journey into the punk community? You know, I'm, I'm such a, you know, the IQ bell curve and the, the meme where it's like you either like dumb as a box of rocks or you like have got the super high end, you know, 170, 180 IQ and you tend to both these sets tend to make the same decisions and but for obviously very different reasons. And then you have like the norms in the middle. Unfortunately, I, it turns out I'm very, very normal. I'm not like, by no means am I super, super clever. And thankfully, well, sometimes I say thankfully, I'm, I'm, I'm not like uh, particularly stupid either. But uh, that's also to my detriment sometimes. And it was to my detriment with, with punks and with NFTs in general, really. Because to begin with, I, like, I, took, a, I took a punt on it because of, because of my trust in people. But then, like, I'd seen a lot of people talking about punks and a lot of people really starting to push the punk narrative, uh, which was around, you know, being one of the first, having this amazing contract, having no real agenda other than just being interesting. And, you know, uh, the founders at Lava, Lab, at Lava Labs just kind of uh, creating something, dropping it, and then stepping back. And I remember in early 2021, before things really kicked off, before the Beeple sale, I remember coming across punks and looking at them. And they were pretty cheap, you know, talking maybe thousands of dollars rather than tens of thousands at the time. And uh, me just going, oh, I like the look of these things, but I want to buy one that kind of looks like me or, you know, uh, I I, I don't really get it. And uh, so maybe I'm just going to take a pass on this one. And then... Really, when I started seeing some of the big names kind of get traction within the space, 4156 was one of the really kind of big first advocates before he sold everything and, you know, uh, because of the Yuga Labs buyout. But 4156 rocking the, uh, the legendary blue bandana ape uh, punk. Uh, I was like, okay, so maybe there is something to this, you know, like what is going on here? And then I started getting involved with the Pixel Vault guys with Beanie and G-Funk. And, and by this point, punks were, I think, at thirty or $40,000 floor and, and, and skyrocketing. It just inc- the floor is just increasing every day. And I remember very, very much trying to push my luck with uh with beanie and and g-funk when they first hired me they said well what do you want to be paid and i said well buy me a punk and we'll call it even and they went are you crazy i was like okay well it's worth a try you know um (laughs) but we settled up you know they did uh, compensate me very well but it was uh yeah not a punk but off the back of that um and uh, and a few other things i was basically kind of red pilled uh at that point i was like okay now i get it now i understand the lore um and the background of what punks are and i felt at the time being involved with punks comic i can't 
be the writer for this comic without having one myself. And I feel like this is going to be, you know, if I'm, if, if I'm going to do anything, if I'm ever going to be a DJ and if I'm ever going to take a big risk, then it's got to be on this. Basically, this is the thing that I'm going to do it for. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty kind of working class kind of guy from a very humble beginnings, never really had much money to my name, but never really, you know, starved. But yeah, like, I sold my Beeple. I had some very early Mad Dog Jones pieces on um, on Nifty Gateway. I had some uh, Fuck Vendor and a couple of other people. I basically just, I pretty much sold every, my almost my entire collection on Nifty Gateway, which I got in very early on because it was like late 2020, early 2021 drops. Was able to make a nice chunk of change from that. Plus, was able to get together, you know, the, basically my, my entire payment for the punks comic. And I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ape in. I'm gonna DJ in and buy my punk. Beanie and G Funk both gave me a little bit of advice on what, what to get. And it was like, you know, you want something kind of clean. And this guy, you know, my punk is pretty clean. He's got his little mole there, and he's got his small shades. But he's, you know, it otherwise looks pretty clean. And also, he does kind of look a little bit like maybe Morpheus from Ma The Matrix or, you know, Bruce Willis when he's in Pulp Fiction, which gave me the idea for Punk Fiction. So I was like, okay, I could potentially use this sort of guy. He wasn't a floor punk, but he wasn't like super expensive. I think he was, if I remember correctly, 23 ETH at the time was $70,000, something like this. So it was like before I bought my apartment, uh, like by far and away, the most expensive thing that I'd ever bought. And it was like, you know, this, uh, this pixelated JPEG. And I was just like, what am I doing? Is this, I remember my hands sweating, you know, pouring with sweat when I was like transferring ETH around between wallets and getting everything ready to go in my main wallet so I could get the punk and just being like, oh, what the fuck if, what if transaction fails or blah, blah, blah. And I was like really, really nervous. And then it, but you know, it went through, got the punk, updated my profile pic, and everyone's like, whoa, go Rafe, you got a punk. I was like, yes, I'm part of the gang. I'm one of, I'm one of the cool kids now. Hey, guys. So yeah, it was it was it was very it was very interesting time and that and you know so via and my introduction to the space and via Punk's comic, I was able to kind of be convinced that uh, you know long term long game was 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 the Punk uh, idea and you know funnily enough, immediately after that the floor dropped quite dramatically and I was like, oh great, no maybe I've made a bad idea, maybe I made a bad decision here. But then, you know, as the story goes, Visa bought their punk and the floor rocketed up to like $400,000, I think. And, you know, and I was like, no, not selling. Um, <laughs> as everybody was, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to hit a million easily. Uh, and it was like, uh, the floor's going to be a million in like two weeks, guys. No point in selling now. And, uh, you know, again, those crazy, crazy days of like summer, JPEG summer 2021. And it was just like, okay, we're going to hit a million floor. And then obviously things calmed down and it went, you know, you know, but like the punk, you know, long term has um, been one of the best things I've ever done with my life, really. Like buying that has introduced me to this whole new world of amazing people and opportunities. And it has been completely life-changing. Uh, so like, you know, zero regrets.
That's uh, such a beautiful story. Yeah, it's just what date was that? Was it sort of June twenty twenty one, just before? It was. It was May, I think. I, you'd have to check on my OpenSea uh, and, and like have a double, have a double. Uh, but it was yeah, May June twenty twenty one. Yeah, nice. And um, and if you if you if money wasn't an issue, what would be your dream punk? Do you think? I mean, it's a very good question because as a you know sci fi nerd. And um, the the kind of the advocate of sci-fi that I am within the space, and 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 kind of, I'd love an alien, right? Who wouldn't love an alien anyway? Because <laughs> there's a rarest, and um, but I don't think necessarily that aliens are the best looking. Uh, you know, they are the the, the traits uh, that you get on punks don't necessarily fit the alien kind of color scheme super well i don't think i think apes and and zombies look really cool aliens can you know um, it's it's a big statement having an alien punk obviously because you know they're they're worth million millions and millions of dollars but uh aesthetically not the most pleasing to the eye but then you know the obvious other choice is a hoodie Lo- love a good hoodie who doesn't but also i'm a massive fan of the tiara I think tiara punks, uh, you know, uh, just look beautiful. They're they're super clean. Uh, apart, you know, the, the tiara just kind of sat there on the head. Um, so yeah, I'd probably go alien for sci-fi reasons and being a sci-fi nerd. Hoodie because you know hoodie gang is the elite, really. You know, the everybody from D's to uh, six five two nine. You know. DC Investor, uh, Primo, you know, the, the, the hoodie ganger, uh, a kind of, you know, uh, the scene as, as some of the, you know, the biggest and coolest in the space. And then for pure aesthetic reasons, uh, a, tiara, a tiara. Good choices. And are you sort of collecting anything or have you ironed anything in the, in, in the bear market at the moment, uh, Galbraith? Uh, you know, I I try to pick up a few writing NFTs here and there when I can, when I have the the, the liquidity. Like I said, I'm by no means a whale, and um, buying my punk was not a frivolous sort of uh, matter for me. I got lucky on a couple of things, and I got like you know because I was quite er- say early, not super early, but early enough to get you know cheap beeples and uh, and other artists and get my ape at one ETH it's like this, you know. But uh, and and along the way, I've collected uh, you know s- storytelling and writing NFTs where where I could. But you know, since being a full time DJ for the last year, basically, um, money that I've made as a writer and as a storyteller and as a narrative designer, whether that be selling my own uh, work or working as a gun for hire or working on collaborative projects. I've just had to liquidate and uh, cash out because I need to pay a mortgage and I need to, um, you know, it's not very degen of me to say, but I need JPEGs don't buy food <laughs> unless you do actually liquidate them. So yeah, the, the ETH that I've been earning, I've, I've basically had to, you know, uh, live off as, as, a, as a full-time degen. And luckily I've been able to do that for a year and, and very much weather the bear market. Um, which has been amazing, and I'm going to do a thread on that soon enough about the 12 things that I've learned as my in my one year uh, a degen kind of journey. And yeah, the, generally the idea is don't fuck around with like leverage, don't uh, gamble. You know, it's very easy to try 
try and day trade flipping JPEGs uh, and get sucked into it. But generally, you're going to get wrecked. I, you know, this time last year when ETH was at like $4,000, I was, you know, and there was millions of projects out there all, all thinking that they were going to be the next Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, I got I got hired quite a bit to do some storytelling and writing and I got paid in ETH and I just was like, right, boom, out into Coinbase, into my Fiat bank account. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that because I had to live, you know, and, uh, and like I said, I didn't necessarily come from a particularly rich or wealthy background. I was by no means a whale. Uh, I didn't get really any, you know, early day coins. So I remember, well, I got wrecked in the, uh, the bull run and the consequent bear of 2017 uh, when I aped in a load of my uh, savings into Bitcoin and ETH. I think Bitcoin was at like 17,000 when it hit the top, which I bought at basically. Uh, and, ETH, and ETH hit 1,200 or something like this, which I also bought. And then, uh, yeah, for, for two and a half years until the next bull, uh, had to sit on 90% losses. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I kind of cut my teeth a little bit back then and was like, right, you know, I'm not messing around with this. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, to get back to your original point, I don't collect as much as I would like um, because I have to earn money to live. And uh, so I get what I can here and there. Nice. I, um, I'll, I'll be looking out for that tweet. I think you've basically described all the things that I've done. Um, looking forward <laughs> to <laughs> You learn by doing, doing right? And you yeah. know, none of us are perfect. Uh, and it's like, you know, I've, I've aped into things and luckily not been wrecked too many times and luckily only played with leverage a couple of times. And that absolutely... See, I, I got I got in very early on GameStop as well and uh, via Reddit, in fact, when I was still using Reddit a lot. And I was like, okay, fuck this, I'm in. And, uh, and then I remember that I remember waking <laughs> up in the morning and it was like you know, just insane. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, cash out, cash out, cash out. And all the exchanges closed. Like, you know, everything, the market stopped because every, it, it, like, it, was, it was imploding. Uh, so, but anyway, I managed to take really, really kind of uh, half decent um, profits from that. And then like basically lost it all fucking around with leverage. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> easy come, easy go. Uh, learn my lesson now. Um, so uh, I, I will be writing up this story of, this is how you survive. Uh, this is how I've survived, which I think six five two nine has done a couple of times as well. And it's like it's not it's not hard, um, but it can be sometimes if you get addicted to it and get you know really uh, kind of sucked into the FOMO and the rush of it all. Uh, it can be very hard. Definitely. Well, look forward to it. And if you were to look across, I guess the punk community, who would you say would be your favorite punk personality? There's so many, uh, and again, most of them are hoodies. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, I guess in terms of like, everybody's got a bit of a personality, right? And sometimes it really comes through via their Twitter feed or their work or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, every like all, lots of different punks are, are, are amazing for lots of different reasons. Uh, again, 6529 is an obvious choice because he's like the sage, you know, kind of sat atop the mountain at, dealing out advice to everybody because he's one of those mega brains right that has got like the 300 iq or whatever you know uh whatever you want to call it and then you got people like d's uh who's obviously another you know hoodie punk but he's a bit more of a degen and you know uh smokes a lot of weed by the looks of things and kind of 
uh, does a lot of amazing podcasts and just likes talking to people and being like a, a nice dude within the space and dealing out advice where he can. Then, yeah, you have like slightly more controversial characters like Art Chick or back in the day, Beanie. Primo um, is another amazing person uh, in that they are there um, kind of just as a nice, uh, wholesome account, really. They collect a lot of art. They avoid controversy and they just do some really awesome things within the space. I know that like, you know, some artist punks, for instance, like Claire Silver, again, is amazing. Not only an incredibly talented artist, um, but also just a really beautiful human being and person. I've been fortunate enough to not only collaborate with her, but also meet her uh, in real life. And yeah, she's just amazing. Drifter, Drifter Shoots. As well, like another super talented artist, I got to meet him in London a couple of years ago. Really, really sound and awesome sort of guy. Very interesting story. G Money is is a is a good lad as well. Kazomo uh, Di Medici. Just you know, the list is endless. There's just so many awesome punks out there, uh, and I got to meet a load of them again at NFT Paris. And uh, because of the punks post uh, and this project that I have with Yuga Labs, I'm able to kind of like engage with these people like on a day-to-day sort of basis. And you just see the sorts of things that people are doing. It's just incredible. So yeah, I couldn't name a single like favorite personality. I've just got a lot of friends in the space who are punks and have been fortunate enough to really kind of make a bit of a community uh, be part and be part of this community with them. Such an amazing community. Uh, when you you sort of speak to those names, um, it's so broad and diverse in terms of experience, skill sets, and and I'd probably sort of yeah, it's it's almost like they're um, I'd probably sort of say they're leaders in the relevant sort of industries it, when it comes to sort of Web three, right? So uh, so it's pretty special to be part of that. Maybe if you could share a little bit about Punk's post, I think we um, we didn't get to really delve into that, but. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically uh, you know we got approached by uh, by Noah. Uh, if, if people don't know who Noah is, Noah Davis is uh, ex Christie's. He uh, kind of comes from a bit of a, a trad background, um, but is um, you know basically full on DGen himself. He got approached, I believe, by Yuga to after Yuga bought out the the Punks IP to um, to head up the Yuga's efforts to kind of build on the punk's legacy essentially and and make it a, a, a as an incredible ip and incredible brand uh, as it deserves now this was slightly controversial because obviously there's a lot of people within the punk's community who are like the reason why it is so good is because it has been left alone and there isn't like merch or this or that or the other the lava labs guys as i mentioned earlier um created this and stepped away and have just let it be its own thing and build its own thing for so many years. And that's why we are where we are today. And I, you know, believe in that to a degree. But I also believe in the idea of what Noah is doing with uh, the Punks IP and getting, for instance, uh, Punks into major modern art galleries around the world as part of what's called the Punks Legacy Project, because they do deserve to be in these places and they deserve to be pushed in a way that um, not only garners attention to the Punks IP, but to the community and to the space in general. It's, um, you know, like lead, uh, you know, be leaders within the space and punks are for certain leaders within the space. So yeah, like Noah approached uh, myself uh, and Lorepunk 
but would you like to do this uh, Punk's Post project where basically uh, we do a bi-weekly or monthly newsletter pulling together all of the cool and interesting stories in the space that punks and other people can look at and, and, and engage with and just see how amazing the community is. And uh, we we're like, yeah, great. You know, my background's in journalism, like I said earlier on. And uh, we you know we're both of both myself and Lawpunk heavily Im- embedded in the space as writers and are recognized as writers within the space. So it seemed an obvious fit. Uh, so we launched late last year, fortunately, because of some, I think, personal reasons, uh, Lawpunk Law had to step back from the project. So I kind of have taken taken it on by myself at the moment. And um yeah, we 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 had a a little bit of a a, a break with what we were doing because we just kind of uh, wanted to reassess where we were at with it and what we wanted to do with it. And yeah, and also like again, personal reasons on my behalf. My father got super sick in January, and I just like had to down tools completely. But it, thankfully, he's better now. And uh, we just so we just released the sixth edition of Punk's Post. Uh, that's on the Punk's Post Twitter. And uh, it sits primarily in Discord, where you can in the punks uh, crypto punks Discord, where you can go in and essentially it's just like you know I spend quite a bit of time throughout the month just keeping up with what's going on in the punks world, and it's for punks about punks. And, uh, it just shows off ev- to everybody what the amazing things that we're doing. Um, but then also the latest edition we've launched a uh, mirror. So mirror.xyz is a Web3 uh, kind of native publishing platform that facilitates the collection of articles as NFTs and, and also the publication of articles as NFTs. So we thought that's a good platform to, to write more of a long form sort of newsletter on. And then, so yeah, we, we released the, the latest one of that or, or the first one of that with the latest uh, kind of drop. And yeah, it, that's been very, very warmly received as well. And we covered things like, yeah, again, the Punk's Legacy Project and, the, and you know, the the, the, the Punk being uh, put in the Pompidou, uh, NFT Paris and the Punk's Brunch there, the Tiffany, uh, you know, Punk's medallions being released and getting out into the wild, just different stuff like that, which was really nice to write, actually. Um, a lot of fun. So yeah, it's kind of the Yuga grant funded project um, to bring together the punks community with news about punks, basically. Uh, nice. Yeah, I, I, it's really helpful for me just to catch up because there's just so much stuff going on globally. So it's nice to sort of read that from time to time. Just just out of curiosity as well, I mean, like with the the curation of stories, does Yuga have any say on what you publish at all, or um, are you free to? No, not really. They're, they're they're very good about about that. They're like, this is a grant. You are not a Yuga employee. So you are kind of, I'm kind of pretty much left to my own devices with it. I do get uh, a, a bit of support from the team and I have like, you know, a call with Noah and a few mem- a few other members of the Yuga team every couple of weeks and we just check in and it's like, okay, have you seen any cool stuff that's been happening? And sometimes give me a little bit of a heads up on certain cool things that are going to be happening. You know, I'm under NDA with, with certain things and it's like, okay, well, you know, this is going to be happening. So we'll give you a quote uh, or we'll do this or we'll do that. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Uh, so I do get support from them. And otherwise they're just like, you know, this is your baby. You, you kind of run with it. So which is quite nice, really. 
so this what can you tell us that's not under NDA? Um, you mentioned the <laughs> the, the Punk's legacy project. C- could you just maybe perhaps uh, expand on what the scope is included uh, in that? So that is a really good one. That's like you know one of the ones which uh, Noah is pushing really hard, and uh, basically it's the idea of getting crypto punks in to modern art galleries around the world and not just any kind of modern art gallery but some of the biggest names in the modern art world it's in a way it's it's a a funny one because like it's it's the idea of preserving that punk's legacy obviously and by having them in these modern art galleries but then you know people other people would would argue that the legacy is preserved via the contracts um, and not necessarily the art. The con- you know, I've, I've seen lots of discussion happening in the Discord and on uh, Telegram and various other channels, Twitter, that you know, people say that the beauty of punks is the art, but primarily the contract, which I find very interesting as well. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, in the future if a modern art gallery has a, um, a smart contract as, as an exhibition. Uh, that would be that would be a cool one, I feel. But at the moment, the uh, it's it's the artwork which is kind of getting placed in these modern art galleries, and there is a push for that which Noah is is kind of leading, um, which I think is is uh, is a really cool thing uh, personally. Um, just to just to see this style and type and you know of digital art up against uh, and, and you know hung alongside. Uh, Andy Warhol, for instance, with the uh, with the with the release that they had at uh, the ICA in Miami, um, there to to help preserve that legacy and kind of I guess in a in a way promote what punks are to audiences that wouldn't necessarily come across this sort of work because yeah it's it's you know NFTs and digital art. Digital art is, is, is a lot more pervasive these days than it used to be. But NFTs, you know, because of the bull run and various other things, they got a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say bad name, but it certainly had the, you know, NFTs certainly had their detractors uh, over the last couple of years. And so we're, we're you know, we're, we're helping convince, I guess, maybe the mainstream that these, uh, this art is art and it's, uh, and it's worthwhile and worth your attention. It's pretty exciting to sort of see what's what Noah's been doing under under this sort of project as well. Because I'm not sure if the Invader was here, street art was was he's doing. Um, but I thought that was pretty cool to really try and propagate some of the punk IP out there for sure. Okay, so then if you're sort of saying that um, you you aren't um, aren't sort of constraining your voice, what you sort of can say, uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions that might be a little bit contentious, but I'd love to hear your views on them. <laughs> What are your views on V1 punks? Again, a, a good question and something that is not without its its own element of controversy. It's not, honestly, and, and, and this is like God's honest truth now, it's not a debate that I've really entered into myself. I know that some people love them, some people hate them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, it, it's one of these things which is a little bit of a shoulder shrug for me. I see that, you know, we certainly have you know, a part of the story. So I guess, yeah, coming at it from a storytelling perspective or storyteller's perspective, it is part of the lore of what punks are now. And it is part of the story and the history and the legacy of what punks are. 
So it's cer- they're certainly not without their part of the overarching history uh, of what punks are. So I wouldn't detract from them in a way by saying, oh, you know, they shouldn't be around, they're worthless or anything like that. Uh, not by any means. I know some people have these sorts of uh, opinions. Uh, I'm, I'm not one of them. I, you know, it's not something that I am particularly interested in. I wouldn't necessarily want to buy one myself, but at the same time, there's no point in trying to, you know, bury, I guess, that part of the punk's history or deny it in any way. You know, it's like it's there and it's not going away. So can we not all get along? Uh, like, what's the, uh, you know, wider controversy there? But, you know, um, I, I, I guess I can see uh, both sides of the argument, really. But for me, I, I remain pretty impartial on that one, really. It's like it's part of the history, not going anywhere. So, uh, what's the big fuss? What about um, BTC punks or ordinals? I guess the thing is that or, or derivatives of punks have always been around uh, since the very early days and since certainly since the last bull run, because punks were an, an original and if you want to, in one particular way, uh, an archetype of the space, that means that they have copy you know, have a lot of people who make copies of them. And and that's always been the case since, since kind of, you know, the, like, again, like I was saying, the early days. So when ordinals or the idea of what an ordinal is came along, it only, to me, seemed, it pissed a lot of people off, obviously. But if there was ever going to be a first of a type of, you know, NFT on uh, on Bitcoin, on ordinals and somebody says well you know rather than making our own we'll copy someone it's always going to be punks right because the biggest if you know if not one of the biggest ips in the space they've got the history the legacy the artwork all of that sort of stuff so if anybody's going to turn around and copy something you know we've had we had soul punks straight away you know, we've had punks on pretty much any NFT chain that, that you can imagine. They're around. So when when the ordinal, ordinals came out, it just made total sense to me that the it, it like didn't maybe not didn't make total sense, but it certainly didn't surprise me that that, that 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 popped up. Now, whether or not they were you know worth as much as ever, you know, you know the the, the kind of the FOMO mill that kind of kicked off and how everybody was jumping into them and people were inscribing and then there was like these big sales and then there was like, you know, conspiracies about rug pulls and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like, uh, again, that's uh, that, that's uh, to, to get a little bit, again, um, controversial for me. And so I was like, uh, you know, I'll keep up with this because uh, I need to know what's going on in the space, but I'm not going to like dive into that too 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 deeply because... Yeah, it, it seems like there's a lot of people arguing about this sort of stuff, and I'm not here for that particularly. Uh, I'll stand up for people if they are being bullied, but when it comes to like arguing the merits of these sorts of things, it's not really my bag. So yeah, I can see why it was done. How much merit it does have is, again, something that can be argued, uh, I guess, either way. But yeah, it's uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, you know, it's really cool or uh, it's absolute garbage. It's just it, it, it's another evolution of the space and another page, probably not more, not a chapter, but certainly another page in the history of the punks uh, and, and, you know, punks legacy. And what about the Uyghur acquisition? How did you feel about that at the time? 
again, another thing which has caused a lot of upset uh, to a lot of people, and again, something that I can see both sides of the argument for. I, I kind of understood why 4156 went mental and sold all of his punks. That was quite a big thing, I think, uh, for me, I guess personally, because like I was saying earlier on, he was a big influence on me to begin with, and he was one of these mega brains that um, really kind of taught me a lot whilst I was following them on Twitter. And for him to turn around and say, oh, this buyout means that I can't be a punk anymore, was like, oh, right, okay, shit, this is really, you know, annoyed quite a few uh, very influential people within the space. And I can see why, because it's potentially taking away from the decentralized kind of manner or idea of what punks were or, you know, continue to be. Like we were saying, the idea of what made punks so successful wasn't a big marketing campaign. It was the fact that they were just completely left alone. And that community grew from essentially nothing to what it is today, uh, which is like a community of uh, world-class entrepreneurs, artists, leaders uh, across uh, like an insane amount of fields. Now, I guess the other side of the argument is that if anybody was going to buy out punks, then Yuga was probably the people to do it. Not only did they have the money, but they had the track record of building the most successful you know, NFT projects uh, in the space. Made a, a lot of people rich, I guess. A few people poor, if you bought the top, I guess, as well. But, uh, you know, they're so far, so good, right? They really haven't missed the mark on anything maybe one or two things here i know like the minting process for the other side uh, land deeds was was a bit controversial because it burnt so much gas and wasted so much eth but other outside of that they pretty much like uh, you know nailed it with everything that they've done so if anybody was going to pick up the ip then uh, you know it's like okay i'm kind of glad that it's yuga actually and not some other random project or bank at least if this was going to happen you know i guess the idea is in my head Nobody really thought that this was an option before. You know, nobody, I guess, had thought that Lava Labs might actually sell the IP. So that's why I guess everybody thought, oh, punks are safe because they're just going to be their own thing forever. And that's, you know, we're going to continue to build on that. If the sale of the IP was an option, who would you rather that sale go to? Some sort of venture capitalist bank investment firm, you know, whatever, that doesn't get the space at all or the the dgens that yuga labs are and i know which one i would much rather have so it's like if this if the sale of the ip was an option at all i'm, I'm glad it's in the hands of, of the yuga labs guys well said and, and if you were to describe punk culture in a few words how would you describe that nurturing for sure i've learned a lot from the fellow punks that uh, that i surround myself by uh friendly you know, it's hard to come across a an annoying or or, or bully uh, type of punk. Don't get me wrong; there's a few around, and there's certainly a few who like to argue, um, but they are few and far between. I'd say the vast majority of of everybody of every punk that I've ever met in person, and the majority of them that I've met online, has been extremely friendly. So yeah, the friendly, nurturing uh, aspect to punks is is amazing, and then also yeah, just like clever you know like super smart people um, that are, are not only super smart but they're willing to share their alpha or or their knowledge or whatever you want to call it with other punks 
and with other people in general, you know, there's a reason why 6529's threads get, you know, reach in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of impressions, um, because they're very clever and they share some really interesting stuff. So, you know, it's like um, friendly, nurturing, clever, uh, but also, you know, like, gambling degenerates <laughs> because you do see people you know spending colossal amounts of money on on random things sometimes and uh, and then sometimes they win big and sometimes they don't and and also the good thing is about punks is that they tend to share their losses as much as they tend to share their wins and they're not like too afraid to do that so it's nice to see that not everybody's perfect you know so uh yeah I, I, that's probably where I where it punks in a nutshell to me. Nice. And uh, if you could pass on a message to the next owner of your punk, what would you like to say to them? Hashtag forever punk, hashtag never sell in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what would I say to them? Um, guess I would have to say, hopefully, if I ever do sell my punk. I mean, to be honest, like I, I am a little bit like, you know, hashtag never selling, hashtag forever punk, that sort of thing. But also at the same time, I'm a little bit like, well, you know, it would be nice to be able to retire on my punk in 10 or 15 years. It's not that I'm putting all my eggs in one basket, but uh, yeah, it's, it, I've heard a few people say that their punk is their retirement fund. So uh, we'll see how that one goes. But if, say for instance, that does happen and I'm, I turn 40 in August. So say I get to retire at the retirement age uh, of the UK, which is 65. So in 25 years, I sell my punk, right? Whatever it's worth in 25 years time. I would have, have hoped very much by that point to have built quite a decent IP around my punk or brand around my punk. I've already started the, the, the very early beginnings of that with punk fiction. And I have released four episodes of punk fiction so far, and I'm continuing to build on that this year. The last uh, mint for punk fiction actually was around this time last year, and it was around it, it, it featured my punk with uh, Kazomo de Medici's zombie, and it told a story of brotherhood in the cyberpunk future, where uh, Kazomo's punk uh, has kind of overreached his grasp, and his brother, my punk, comes to kill him. And, uh, and, but then they have a conversation and end up, you know, going, okay, we're brothers. Let's not do this. We will figure out our future together rather than battling. So, yeah. And I worked with an amazing, uh, Ukrainian based artist on that piece, uh, Anton, uh, name escapes me now. And another Ukrainian mu uh, musician for that. And we, that sold straight away. Uh, amazingly, uh, went for three ETH, I think. So it raised a good chunk of money for the Ukrainian effort because it was around this time last year that the, um, you know, that the war started. And those two guys were both stuck in Kiev when the bombs started dropping. So they got, I think I just uh, basically recouped expenses like for minting cost and things like that. And they got the rest of the money. money. And that was, that, was, that was really nice to do. Now, uh, I've been working on trying to find a collaborator for the next episode of Punk Fiction for a while. And the featured punk is, is going to be 6529 with my punk. And I think I do have an, an incredible artist that wants to work with me on that. But it's been a little bit delayed, again, because the bear market and various other things. So I'm going to be writing that story in the coming weeks. So, you know, if I can, you know, pop out a couple of these punk fiction stories per year with amazing collaborations, which all feature my punk alongside other punks or just on his own, 
then in 25 years, there's going to be quite an interesting kind of legacy behind that. So I would say to the future owner of MyPunk, coming back to your question in a very long-winded sort of manner, <laughs> you are not just buying a punk, you're buying a world of stories. You're, you're buying into a uh, legacy here that helps demonstrate the history uh, of why punks are so important. Beautiful. The uh, the Galbraith premium will be added uh, to the floor price, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So Galbraith, mate, this was uh, super fun to have a chat with you. I mean, this was almost a two-hour session when, you know, most of the punk cast was normally an hour. But I really, no, I really enjoyed, but honestly, man, like I really enjoyed the conversation and, um, you know, thank you for your time and thank you for everything that you do amongst community. I'm sure um, everybody's really proud. Oh, I appreciate that a lot, man. Uh, yeah, honestly, it's, it's been a life-changing experience get, being part of this community. And sometimes I wake up and honestly, I go, I can't believe I'm part of this group of people. You know, it's like, it's mind blowing just what access I have these days uh, to, you know, I could pop into a Telegram channel and just ask any sort of random question and you'd have the world's leading experts on that subject answering that question within minutes. It's just absolutely phenomenal and I love it. And yeah, just going back to your point, my uh, I went for breakfast with my partner this morning and she said, so how long do these podcasts normally take? And I was like, well, whatever it is with me, it's going to be double. Um <laughs> As you can tell, once I get going, I I, uh, I like talking. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's part of that being a storyteller, you know, man. I, I hope that people have lasted this to the end of the podcast when they're listening in. And uh, and if they have, I invite them to shoot me a DM uh, anytime. My DMs are always open. I'm always happy to help. I know where I got my first break in the space with people being so positive and happy to help me back in 2018. And, uh, and so I always try and pay that forward whenever I can. So uh, yeah, thanks again for the opportunity to talk and tell a little bit about my history uh, within the space. And uh, yeah, long may it continue. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, Galbraith. And ladies and gents of Punkcast, thank you so much for joining this show. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now.